Hey guys, this is Samuel with another episode of Learnings, where I share my notes and commentary on multiple hours of YouTube videos that I watch for self-education. I often cover two or three interview seminars under the ideas of giving, getting, and the future where the two meet one another. I like to start starting with a sort of weekly review. I mean, this one isn't really a weekly review because I kind of like guiltily, if that's a word, skipped like two or three episodes. But again, like if you checked my other episode, I don't know, I'm adjusting to a lot of things in my life right now, okay? And I know that absolutely no excuse. If anybody told me that, I'd be like, dude, shut the fuck up. But, um, I mean, dude, if you're listening to this, um, I'm not you, so, uh, maybe, uh, we have different expectations of ourselves or something like that, that we are trying to meet, and I am just working on mine, I'm really working on it, <laughs> like, I can tell myself that, at least, so I'm not entirely sure how easy it's going to be to continue this podcast, that, with that being said, as I'm moving to Atlanta, kind of in a, a pain in the ass with scheduling, because of the weekly review portion, it's not easy to just be like, yeah, I'm gonna make four episodes in a row and distribute them one per week, but I do have a growing list of people i decided to start watching interview seminars and whatever these videos are. I, I used to just watch whoever, but now I have a list of people. It's a short list, but a great list. And slowly but surely it'll grow. This should not be that big of an issue for anyone who tries at least to regularly listen to this podcast because I have for the most part been picking the most, the most fart. I've been picking the same two to three people, but now these are like there are like easily five to six on this list. A problem is a few of them don't do interviews often. I don't know why, uh, but people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos seem to gather a lot more press for whatever reasons than Grant Cardone, Tony Robbins, and most <laughs> surprisingly, even Mark Zuckerberg. That leaves Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Tim Cook because all these business and magazines and shit want to know what's up with Apple's, Amazon, Tesla, uh, whatever else. So that's one thing. I just got back from Atlanta and I have a lot to say about it, but uh, I'll be moving there at the end of December. There is not that much planning involved somehow. We just make shit happen without planning. What I found out, my, my future roommate told me I was like, no fucking way. And it's kind of true. Uh, and I think that's coming from a big adamant perspective um, on planning as opposed to improvisation. I think it'll be really easy for me to kind of adapt to it to the point where I become more of a strategist than anything else. I finished my insights for the month. I mean, there are two or so more and I have to edit them and distribute them, the rest of them. But I've decided for 2019, since I've really reached a great point in my skill of time management, that I'm going to start spending entire months at a time working on different types of content. Uh, and the re and uh, that's something I really want to focus on for 2019 because uh, I'm going to be focusing on adaptation. That's my main, you know, self-growth focus for uh, the year. So that's one thing, but I'm going to spend an entire month working at, on, at a time working on different types of content. The reasons for this you probably can find out through out more of my more previous episodes at least. Video number one is Tim Cook with Fortune CEO Initiative. A lot of people are quick to shit on this guy because he's not Steve Jobs, but Apple is doing pretty damn well for themselves, especially lately. Uh, one of my insights this last month is going to be called, I, I mean, it's coming out in like January or February or something, but uh, it's called Leave Apple Alone. And it's 18 minutes long. It's my longest video ever. And I'm very, very excited to drop it. Apple has always been about changing the world and it become clear to Tim Cook that you can't really do that without speaking on things that matter. I pay very close attention to what Apple does through these interviews and beyond whatever I can because their, their drive is similar to mine as far as the bettering of humanity, like the North Star that propels them forward, as he says. They like to talk about human rights, immigration, the education, the environment, and privacy. Those are like the five big things for them. Ones like human rights and immigration, particularly interestingly enough, since they're, you know, not really just commercial. Uh, Cook says that business is nothing 
more than a collection of people. <laughs> Elon Musk, if you watch, I mean, if you listen to what I have to say about video two, this episode uh, doesn't exactly agree, but it's pretty similar, I suppose. And people have uh, values. So a collection of people, a company that should have, you know, uh, fucking values. First generation, and even everyone else, a lot of Apple employees are on DACA. Uh, I don't know what that, I don't remember what that is, but he wants to stand up for them. They have lots of people on their team who are also H-1Bs. I don't know what that is either, but uh, that gives them a perspective on its importance, but also what, you know, like, the life is like. So Tim Cook, uh, people quickly get to numbers, but there are real people with feelings and shit who are a core part of this country. Uh, maybe not its history in my perspective, maybe not, but like, dude, you know how many of the most important jobs are occupied by, like, immigrants? It's kind of probably fucking crazy, but human rights, at the end of the day, he says, is about treating people with dignity and respect. He tries to separate that from politics, which I love. Like, he's try, he's like, we try to focus on policy instead, which I thought, which I thought was really cool. Um, sometimes one party doesn't like what Apple does, sometimes the other doesn't, sometimes it's both of them, uh, and typically, despite that, they'll respect what Apple's doing. He says he thinks that's because of this focus on policy, policy versus politics. If you don't speak on what's important to you, you'll, you just fall into this good person category, the person who's not about positive change according to your own values, and that's just not healthy, at least for, um, you know, the environment, in his opinion. He's like, dude, Apple doesn't give a fuck about political campaigns. They discuss the policy behind privacy, corporate tax reform, and a lot of people get behind this. Some of them think Apple is wasting their time by not just focused by not just focusing on money. But I feel like that doesn't really make sense. Honestly, in today's world, it's not likely that you can change the world by just focusing on money. I feel like money is a hollow concept. It's only as hollow as the values we put behind it and the actions that it, it its movement entails. That it's that its movements entail. Uh. Like, it's not about the money, it's also about, like, how you get it and how you use it. Maybe that's just me. Apple felt very strongly about privacy when no one cared. Because, like, they could see not just the specific details, but also the building of specific details for profile people uh, could use to nefarious things. And a lot of people don't have a full view of who has what, as well as how much of their lives have been opened up to the commercial and public entities. Apple has always believed in curation. Since 2008, they were criticized for reviewing apps um, before putting, like, deciding whether they should go up. And it says a lot about them, you know, like, what's in the App Store? And, like, they started with the news when they really saw the news going crazy, uh, but they felt the top stories should be selected by people. Not to be political, but just to make sure you're not picking content that specifically is meant to enrage people. So, they wanted to bring this perspective to different subjects over time. They pick from a wide variety, of, from conservative to liberal, and in between, if that's even a thing anymore, they try to cover the whole perspective, the whole shit, the whole spectrum. Uh, Facebook and Google refuse to really choose that, but Apple... Apple believes in quality versus quantity. I think that's what separates them greatly, at least, from Facebook and Google. Tim Cook said quality is what people want nowadays. Now, the interviewer mentioned the whole thing with addiction to smartphones. It's interesting how companies like Apple are handling the points brought up on shit like this. Um, especially Facebook, too. I think they have, like, restrictions on that. I didn't write that part down. But since the beginning, actually, they've been, they've been focusing on parents, how they can select and monitor the use of how much their kids can get out of the phones. And it's become clear that a lot of us spend supposedly too much time on 
on the products. Apple wants to empower them, not not wants to empower people, not like control them or some bullshit like that. I noticed that the things these guys say in interviews really starts to hit the public's eye in a matter of months to years after the interviews take place, unfortunately, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. Like a lot of people think Apple is trying to control our minds or and they're part of the Illuminati or some shit. Like, is that possible? Uh, yeah, bro, why the fuck not? But at the same time, the more I learn about companies like Apple, especially from audiobooks written by people who have experience working with and studying such companies, the easier I find it to make and adjust my judgments of such things, if that makes sense. And it's tough because some people use their shit passively, uh, you know, like listening to books, reading them, watching TV. It's kind of tough to judge, like, how controlled they are, like, how not empowered they feel by the products. Like, that's so tough to judge. There's so many variables that go into that shit. Tim Cook experiments with this, interestingly enough, personally. He, like, started talking about the changes in his life when he started slashing the number of notifications he was getting from these different apps. They are building these restrictions on into the OS, actually, and you can do what you want with them. Despite the pressures to be short-term, you need a CEO. I found this very interesting, and it does make a lot of sense. You need a CEO, board of directors, and management team that focus on putting aside the stock price, because if you focus on the short-term investors, you make bad decisions because they're so emotionally based. And the big investments they make are all multi-year, like five, seven, 10 and that's what I'm thinking about and people ask me why I do this or that and it's like dude because of five to seven ten years that's why I'm on anchor I mean I wish I didn't fucking skip these episodes um I'm gonna work on that <laughs> video two is oh gosh this is big uh Elon Musk on the Joe Rogan podcast this episode got a crazy amount of press I don't know why I'm getting to it just now but overall that's not just because Joe Rogan's podcast is I think it's like the most popular podcast on the planet I just looked it up as far as downloaded it's in the top 10 what's interesting is the ones above it are not just like the name of a person who's like it's it's like Freakonomics radio or you know like like cereal or fresh air and they're own my companies and shit. This one is just a guy and his, you know, cute little team. But what I have found interesting about Joe in particular, regardless of his views, is the way he gets answers out of people. It's not a typical, there's a very honest, demanding way he seems to phrase these questions without coming across as like a dickhead at all. It's actually quite friendly. Most of the time, I want to stress that, you know, this is just a filtered little sample. I don't watch his podcast in general. It takes too much time out of my day because he doesn't always interview people like Elon Musk, but it's all good. Elon has a lot of light in this interview that it seems uh, he doesn't in other ones but again I think that says a lot about Joe as an interviewer and his skill and how good he is at it. It's probably going to be a very long episode as well. I'm going to finish this shit at like fucking 5.30. It's almost 5.30 right now. The Boring Company, by the way, was originally a joke so they decided to make it real and dig a tunnel under LA. It's very interesting how these things start out as like jokes. Like I heard, I heard Twitter was an accident. <laughs> but like it looks I mean maybe not it hasn't been doing a well ama- like amazingly nowadays but uh you know back then uh, it, you know for a while it was doing pretty well and uh I think Jack Dorsey is doing pretty well with for himself with Square having developed Cash App which I didn't know about until last week but like the Tesla model numbers or <laughs> the letters were, it was originally meant to spell out the word sexy 
like S E X Y, but like, I mean, you guys know how to spell that, but because of some other car company, I think it was Ford. They had to change the E to a three, <laughs> but this is why specifically they're calling the next one, the model Y, which I found it. I, I always found that interesting, especially like giant companies like Tesla, you know, they have like a sense of humor. Um, and you can tell by the subtlest things like the names of their products and the order, uh, in, at which they come out or some shit like that. Joe was like, uh, do people ever say, um, Elon, you shouldn't do that. And Elon was like, I mean, dude, I said to everyone not to buy the flamethrower. Like, do not buy this product. <laughs> it's a horrible idea. It's wrong. It's very dangerous. But they still bought, but everyone still bought 2,000 of them, 20,000 of them actually, in less than four days. They are done. They're not making any more. Um, but it's not even a real flamethrower either. And they made, 10, they made $10 million out of this shit. <laughs> like they made 20,000 and they sold all of them at $500 each, but, uh, it's not even a real flamethrower. They were clear about that too. Uh, it's just a torch with a roofing cap. <laughs> they were told that various countries would ban flamethrowers too. So they said, you can't do flamethrowers. And I mean, you know, they made them anyway and they sold them anyway. Traffic really has been terrible, so Elon has been in LA for 16 years, and nobody had any other solutions for the traffic. He doesn't expect these ideas and shit to work, actually. Uh, LA is one of the worst places to dig tunnels, mostly because of the paperwork, not traffic or earthquakes, interestingly. However, earthquakes are, you know, a big concern for a lot of people, but earthquakes are like waves. They're really just surface shit. So in the ocean, for example, a tunnel is really just like a submarine. Like, you are safe in that case. Even if the ground moves, the tunnel doesn't crack or break, It'll and it'll move with the ground. Uh, it's water, gas, and methane proof, and it meets all seismic proof requirements. Uh, they started off by digging a hole in the ground, but they filled out some form first. They got a permit for a pit, and it was it was dug in 48 hours. Joe's like, I don't know how you manage your time. But Elon's like, I don't think people know what my what I do with my time. It's really just, it's really just, like, action time management is so like it's always just like fucking like engineering and science and shit management is very little of it uh joe says how did this guy have all of his ideas and energy and time and shit elon's like i'm an alien jokingly he says he couldn't hold a candle to ai <laughs> and ai is a genie you know, in the words of joe that you can't get back into the bottle once it gets out there are robots now that move so fast that you can't see them without strobe lights uh elon musk has a rather fatalistic view on ai and where it's going uh however what's tricky is the temptation to use it as a weapon for a lot of people probably more than anything like that's the danger is humans using it against each other and this is already happening on a small scale shit like with with like cyber bullying for example which has been happening for a while now honestly a company is a cybernetic and elon musk's <laughs> he always uses like like fucking like like technological terms to describe like human things it's kind of interesting i guess a company in his words is a cybernetic collective of people and machines that's what he has to say and there are different levels of complexity where in where these are formed uh we're plugged in like leaves into a big tree without questions and answers we're collectively programming really uh the ai of the google network it's the same thing with all these social media networks Tra it's a trans cybernetic collective of networks uh and what's crazy is how many people are obsessed with materialism but how much of it is fueling the evolution of ai it's like instinctual at least to joe that our job is to fuel this but i think it's because these companies are making technology appear to be cool like very socially sound uh perhaps like you know per 
se. I mean, if you look at the design of Apple products and the company's branding, you may notice that the coolest people own their products. <laughs> like with Tesla, you're trying to do good for the environment and you want to look cool doing it. These are great biological reasons. This is so effective in marketing. A great book on this is there's a whole chapter on the whole to on this topic alone is the four about uh, it's about Apple, Facebook, Amazon, and Google and why they're so powerful, what they have in common, etc. Elon said it's like we're collectively, you know, progressively building AI and eventually we will represent a very small portion of general intelligence. There are lots of things we hate and like and fear all on the internet and they are all a projection projection interestingly enough of your limping of your limbic system if not at least its relationship with your uh, cortex but it's a combination of electronics and biology it's a function of how much limbic resonance there they are able to achieve with people the more limbic resonance the more engagement more videos images tweaking your biology more that's why facebook instagram and youtube are exceeding the success of twitter especially nowadays we used to have the input of 10 fingers. Now it's just thumbs, but pictures as well, we have those. They communicate far more now with inf far more information than just with your thumbs. So that's the opportunity cost of doing so, I guess. Uh, here is the part of the interview. I saw this part in another video probably 10 times in a row, just thinking about the future. It's moments like these during which I question really what I'm doing with my music and where it's going to go for the sake of humanity's bettering. Because a lot of that involves technology and, and companies like Apple and Facebook, but like, yes, they are doing what they can, but what are the people doing? He paused for maybe five seconds, and he said, I tried to convince people for years to regulate AI. It was futile. I tried for years, and nobody listened. Joe asked if people are more inclined to today, but Elon's like, maybe they will. So far, they haven't. <laughs> he started talking about regulations and how the process unfolds. Usually, it's very slow. Um, it's often caused at the start by some sort of death or deaths. Uh, there will be an outcry, some sort of year uh, investigation. Years will pass. Some sort of you know oversight, insight committee for the from the government. It takes many years. It does all of it. it this, is, this is how the requirements for were successfully put up for having seatbelts in cars, even though the, the difference in numbers only made sense that you'd be far less likely to die on the road. After lots and lots and lots of people died, regulators got seatbelts down. But this time frame is not relevant to AI at all. <laughs> and it's not like a doomsday type of thing, but it's more of just an out of control one. Joe wanted to know if it's likely we'll merge or if it'll replace us. Um, but Elon said that the merging sounds the best uh, as far as like how things pan out. But from an existential standpoint, that's the perfect uh, purpose of Elon's company, Neuralink. You see, we have a bandwidth connection. Communication over computers is uh, slow as fuck. But with AI, we have the primitive brain, you know, the limbic system and the cortex. I mean, a lot of people don't know this shit. <laughs> I'm not expecting anyone listening to know this. Uh, they are in a symbiotic relationship and people like this is a good thing. Like, people like this, this is a good thing. Uh, but AI optimally would serve as a higher layer of this. The cortex is mostly the service to the limbic system. And the cortex the, the cortex is mostly trying to make this limbic system happy. The third layer, the symbiotic one, has enough bandwidth on the cortex such that the AI... I mean, if it has enough bandwidth on the cortex such that the AI layer doesn't de facto separate, then that could be a very good outcome, perhaps, for the future. It will enable anyone who wants to have supercognition to have supercognition. And if that's the case... And billions of people do it, then the outcome of humanity will be the sum of human will. The sum of people's, billions of people's desire for the future. That last sentence makes me think so much about so many things. It's actually scary to me. Uh, this 
I guess in a good way. Uh, this interview was like months ago, but that last sentence is the reason I decided to cover it for this episode anyway, more than anything else. Like, what would convince people? What would change these mindsets to such a thing? Uh, the difference is like the difference between what you can do with your computer and or smartphone. Uh, Versus, you know, if you don't have it, your, your technology and your use of it really is kind of metaphysically an extension of you. Most people don't realize they are already cyborgs. The phone is an extension, but the communication rate between you and the phone is very slow. It's like a tiny straw of info. It's a f information flow between the biological self and the digital self. And Neuralink is trying to make that straw into a giant river. It's a bandwidth, in, you know, problem and interface problem. If you solve that problem, we can, we can in the long term hold onto that symbiotic relationship in a way, in a far better way. Uh, and these things will happen like it's inevitable. Uh, he met with Obama even to talk about these things. He met with Congress, a meeting with all 50 governors, and he talked about AI danger, and none of them, like none of them, seem to realize where this is going. And these people maybe just didn't know what to do, but ideally a government committee would be able to make rules, propose rules, and that'd be a much safer way to go about things, but Joe says, I want you to handle this instead. I mean, that's what's been happening so far, but the government so far likes to hit the switch on these things when it's far too late. Um... Joe tried to occupy, tried to compare this whole scenario of us to AI as kind of like like chimps to us and uh one of the main issues with social media is people look like they have a better life than they really do. They're modifying the pictures to make them look happier and like better. But if you look at an Instagram, like it's an ideal scene of so many different things. What's weird is it's almost like if you care enough, you can achieve those things and you can be those things. But at this, at just by comparison, by comparison, looking at it so much without reminders of you can do something like this and here's how, whether that information is free or not, just seeing these things can and constantly feed feeds of them uh it can desensitize you and it can fuck with your self-esteem like heavily instagram gives you the opportunity to be on your own to be your own pr and it's not like instagram is wrong it's 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 kind of what's wrong is kind of just like wondering like what's next and kids love doing shit like this like crazy like joe watches his kids doing this and he's like what's this gonna look like in the future even though we're laughing at it now Elon said at that time, it'll be indistinguishable from reality, like entirely. The argument of simulation, or the argument of simula simulation is quite strong. If you assume any improvements at all over time, even 0.01%, the universe is 13.8 billion years old. Civilization from the first writing is just like somewhere between seven and eight thousand years old if you assume any improvement at all games will be easily distinguishable indistinguishable from reality or we're all gonna die or i mean one of both of those things uh we will be on the road to where we won't be able to come back to this moment but a simulation will apparently become reality uh and being pessimistic and right Elon would rather be optimistic and wrong. Like, even if it's the end of the world, it's not like anyone wants to be like, I fucking told you, bro. And it really is about the journey in that case. Because the universe as we know it will dissipate, will dissipate into a fine mist of coldness, eventually. And we're trying to see how we can make it last longer. Elon said there that, you know, there are most likely many simulations or universes running on a boring substrate. It's like watching an action film being filmed. It's boring. The action film is the simulation versus the reality, which is the filming. I tell people about music too. I'm like, dude, this is boring as fuck to make, honestly. I love doing it. 
don't get me wrong, but from the outside, the actual amount of details is excruciatingly boring. In fact, to make it not boring alone, to make it interesting, that would be a boring process. And growing an audience and shit around it, it is even more profound. It's like, how can we look at boring and try to make it fun by summarizing it and shit? Elon said, most people don't know what a Tesla is capable of. The Model X can do a ba- ballet thing, apparently, where it's moving to, like, where it moves, like, to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Joe's like, why would you program that into a car? Elon's like, well, it's fun. <laughs> that alone is an astounding example, in my opinion, of the notion of never losing a childlike wonder. But Elon said it's an Easter egg, <laughs> even though you can easily find it or something on Reddit. Uh, he's like, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. He said it's not meant to be a car. It's meant to be the most fun thing. He wants, But he wants to make video games and shit playable in the car, let alone just watching movies. They are about to release a software for the, the car that will enable you to turn you know, turn it on. It'll drive, of course. I mean, <laughs> ideally, that's what a software does. But it does more than that. It'll drive the high, on the highway, uh, on and off up ramps, lane changes to overtake other cars, go from one interchange to the next, hooking it up to the nav system, whatever. I don't know what that is. But, oh, I guess navigation. I don't know. But you can program it to be more conservative, more defensive, aggressive. You've got to be pushy sometimes on the freeway. With tunnels, they aren't like roads. Above ground, you can have a 2D transportation system and a 3D work environment. This is how you know Elon Musk is explaining it because instead of using two story, he says two dimension. And that's just a very engineering and design way of looking at everything, really. Tunnels are 3D because you can go up and down and solve literally all traffic. Uh, Earth is a dry ball of lava with a thin crust, but 10,000 feet is not a big deal. If you want to go down that far, you can do that in a car. Uh, you can't go that high above ground. Uh, there are no serious scientists who don't think we're facing some sort of big climate crisis. So many things burn fuel with rockets. They have not found how I found out how to make shit electric with cars. Obviously they have it's becoming more obvious every day, but still they could have solar panels that unfold on the Tesla, but they were like, nah, let's just put those on roofs where they can be open and out all the time. And they can also charge the home. So that's one thing. But with the car, with the car, it may also be in shade or something. Uh, The X, S, and 3, they actually have the highest safety ratings of any cars tested by the U.S. government. But people still get in accidents and sue Tesla, which is weird. I mean, it happens. It is what it is. But still, Elon has the respect for the, he has a lot of respect for the justice system because judges and juries are quite smart, apparently. Uh, (laughs) Despite what people say about them, you read about the occasional errors in the justice system, but there are, but they are still very good at what they do. I don't know anything about this, so I can't make any judgments. Uh, but, you know, if I were a judge, perhaps I could. <laughs> Get it? Because judges and judgments. Okay, someone fell asleep and blamed it on the smell of the car. Really think about that. And he got a lawyer and sued them too. And the judge was like, dude, this is absurd. Um, stop bothering me. <laughs> Most judges apparently are very good and they, uh, they could have made more money by not being like this. Uh, but that's not the case. A lot of policemen, he says, are very honest, very honorable, ethical people, more so than the average person. And that is no reason to assume all police officers and judges are like that. Um, if that's ever the case, we should take action um, and, and do what's best at all times. But Elon says it's not something you should use to think about how a broad view of these people. Judges really are, they, they really just see a lot of criminals through 
criminals though and that and that that could result in a rather negative view of the world perhaps uh it's hard to maintain a healthy faith in humanity anyway if you're a district attorney and you see all that shit all the time the one millionth of people in the u.s that is the most evil is so evil that those 330 people are inconceivably evil but that's also such a case the other way around the one millionth of the nicest people are sweet little angels uh you know they're unconceivably great human beings but because of fear our thoughts tend like to gravitate to the worst case scenario. It's a very toxic, unbalanced way of viewing the world. It can be very influential to the people around you and a very dangerous thought pattern to promote. Assume people are good until proven otherwise. Like, most people are actually good people. Like, give them the benefit of the doubt. If we have to, if we have those fears, we're just projecting them through survival. Um, there has to be a reason the world is full of people and not just one person. And if there is, that has to be part of it. There's no way it can't be. Joe asked what Elon thinks the bottlenecks are with his companies. Uh, Elon said, <laughs> this is like one of those weird moments where someone spends like an hour using one particular word multiple times. Like Joe said, he said bottlenecks so many times d d pertaining to so many different things uh, toward like the end of the interview. But Elon said, if people were better in general at science, <laughs> uh, I mean, they are really great in China. There will be improvement, th important things in the future, supposedly that we think, but things we think about today are that are important today now you know will not be the same things uh what keeps elon up at night is mostly running companies uh especially tesla it's very difficult to run a car company 2008 was a terrible year to run a car company especially an electric one like that's stupidity squared uh but here's in his words but here's the part where he smokes and takes one hit and everybody just explodes I just think it's sad sometimes that people can simply hear about this interview because it's the interview where he smokes weed instead of the interview where he takes two hours out of his own day, a man whose time is actually pre-scheduled into five-minute segments where he, he takes two hours to talk. A $22 billion man about himself extensively, his companies and products to one of the most popular podcasters in history. I found that fascinating, but, you know, everybody else did because he smoked weed and he took one hit. <laughs> Joe has this dream more than once where there are guys like, there are like millions of different guys like Tesla. Not Tesla the company, but like Nikola Tesla. I mean, in that case, I guess you'd see a lot of that company and ones like it. But he's like, what if there were a million different Elon Musks? Elon's like, I don't think people would like being me. Sounds like something Drake would say. I think there was a, there was a line that reminded me of that. Uh, but it's very hard to turn off all those thought, I mean, thoughts. I mean, that's probably part of the reason he stutters and things uh, like that. If you study body language or watch analysis analyses, his body language during interviews and shit actually describes a little bit of nervousness. Uh, but these people probably think a lot faster than others. There are probably a lot of different things that go on uh, in their heads all the time as a result of study and application. Um, so... I would probably at least consider that that might be a cause of it. He says he likes to make things useful to be useful. He likes to do useful things for other people. He essentially has a gift, you could call it. A cur you could call it a curse, but it's a creativity engine at a very high rate uh, that moves at a high rate. Elon says it happens all the time, and it's a never, it never stops running. Uh, it's like a never-ending explosion. If Joe asked if, you know, he could describe it to someone who, like, doesn't understand anything. Like, it's pretty much a never-ending explosion. I'm trying to get to this point, honestly, because it's daring. It's not what I'm used to. It's something I find I need to get to just so I can reach the point where people I... In point where I influence what most people can't. I think I'm already there to some extent, but I... At least, you know, as far as how I think. But I don't believe there's a limit to this never-ending explosion. I mean, it's never-ending, right? There are two futures. One is where we are out there in the stars 
because the good things in sci-fi movies and, and books are become true and the scope and scale of consciousness are expanded across planets and solar systems and galaxies. But that's a great future. That's what we want. I think if we strive for it, we'll be far closer to it than whatever the other one is that Elon didn't explain because he was cut off by Joe about some other thing. Uh, it's corny, honestly, to say that love is the answer because so many people are scared of it. Like, <laughs> like I wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to have more love in the world, but love can definitely be influenced and moved and changed and shit very indirectly through something like a uh, fucking, I don't know, like music. Whereas, I mean, it's not like you can create a love machine at least yet, I suppose.